Um, this morning, we are going to be in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. This again, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. We're going to stand and read that here in just a minute. Um, <clears throat> Hero-making, right? Committing my life to multiplying my life in others. So hero-making, committing to my life to multiplying my life in others. So Matthew 9, 35 through 38 is a text that may be familiar to some. It's a passage where Jesus looks out and sees the reality of where people are and speaks into that. And so this morning, if you will, let's stand together in reverence and honor of reading God's word. I'm going to read as you listen. Matthew 9, 35 through 38 reads, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Father, would you this morning allow this word to profoundly speak into our lives? Jesus, that we would, we would hear from you and that your voice would carry the weight in our lives it deserves. Help us. Help us to be faithful. Lord, we give ourselves to you this morning to this end, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in a moment, we're going to get into this text. Um, but before we do, I wanted to invite up uh, Nate Stone. Nate, come on up. Um, Nate, uh, yeah, welcome, Nate. If you, if you don't know Nate, you're about to find out a lot about Nate. Um, here you go. I dropped this a moment ago. Hopefully it is not broken. So, Good morning. Yeah, go ahead and see. So Nate, um, Nate Stone is, uh, and you're going to hear a little bit of the story, but but a few years ago, we, we had this idea, and the idea was, what if we started a residency program at the North Canton Chapel? And so a residency program is a bit different than just a, an internship. A residency program was guys that definitely had a calling into ministry. They weren't trying to figure it out. They just um, wanted to come and grow and learn in, in kind of skill and in classroom settings, but also in more, and I would say more in doing. And so I made about 100 proposals to the elders, and uh, here, give or take, and, uh, and so we presented this idea, and we had three goals with the residency program. The first goal was that we would develop church planners. Second goal is that we would develop future staff, and the third goal was that God would use these men in some shape or form for the kingdom, which is the last one, like, doesn't matter, it's all for God anyway, so hopefully it works out well. Well, Nate was the kind of, like, it, we, we didn't know when anyone came in, but Nate and his wife and uh, his kids, they live in the Dominican Republic, they've been there for a year, and so um, Nate kind of came through all that, so we're going to have a little talk, so you can kind of see a little bit of his life and how God has brought them to where they are, and so so, Nate, tell us a little bit. So, what, the residency was like four years ago. And so, what was going on? What was happening in your life as you were getting ready to enter into the residency program? Sure. So, I am, like Ryan, a bald farm boy that God called into the ministry. Praise go. God. Bald. Man, yep. Um, unlike Ryan, I'm from uh, here in Ohio. But I was up in Brunswick serving at a church um, as a lay leader in the youth ministry with my wife. Uh, 
thought you guys know Dave and Kara Short. They were, he was the youth pastor there. And when we were realizing that God was asking something more of us um, vocationally than what I was doing, uh, we set out to, to clarify that. Lord, what do you mean? And he led me to seminary. And in the process of that, I was also invited by Dave and another pastor on staff there to attend a conference that um, is where I met Brian yeah. in 2013, yeah. a, pa- a pastor's conference in Chicago, and Rachel and I went, and our world was turned upside down. And we met Ryan, we met Dan, we met some of the other guys here at the chapel, and we got word of what they were planning, what they believed God was putting in their heart to raise up men through a residency program. And we were encouraged to put our hat in, to fill out an application, to go through that process. And really reluctantly, to be honest, um, I looked at Dave and I said, Dave, I'm, I'm the least qualified out of anybody who is going to be applying for this. I am the least of, uh, on paper anyway, that should be doing this. And they said, you know what, God's in it, just do it. And so we did, and within 30 days, we had our house on the market already sold, and we were moving this direction to North Canton to spend two years here with you guys. And uh, it it was a whirlwind, but at the same time, it was a huge blessing to um, have Ryan as as one of our mentors. Dan, um, you guys have an amazing staff here that encourages beyond, I mean, encouragement on top of encouragement. And, and, and that just goes to speak to the entire congregation. We love you guys. We love our family here at NCC. Yeah. So, so you, you guys came down here, and so the residency, you were in two years, um, kind of immersed in that, doing ministry, learning. So, um, so then talk a little bit about, that's a little bit of background of who Nate is if you're new here. And so talk a little bit about God transitioning you guys from the residency program into kind of your present calling of where God has you. Yeah, so instrumental in that was the fact that throughout the residency, we were kind of, I don't know if you'd say assigned, but we were given a full-time pastor um, to meet with regularly, to do discipleship with, and the missions pastor here, Dan, was who I was assigned with, and he said, one of the first things he told me, he said, you're going to take a mission trip. He goes, you're going to lead a mission trip. And, and I'm going to help you do it. Don't, and he could see I was freaking out on my face. I wasn't saying it, but I was like, all right, I, I don't know if I'm ready for this, right? He goes, no, you don't, you don't have to worry. He's like, I've done 100 of these. And, and that's probably even shooting low. But One time, Dan told <laughs> Leah, I love this story, Dan told Leah, they, she, Leah was going to be gone for a week, and Dan had all, all four of his kids alone. And Leah's planning everything out, and Dan goes, come on, I've taken 42 kids to, to Mexico for a week. I think I can handle my four best Dan moment ever. So true story, right? Yeah. True story, Leah. Yeah. But that's Dan. I mean, he is, yeah. he is confident, and he is uh, instilling that through encouraging me. And he's like, you're going to do this. And he goes, I want you to pick a place. I want you to um, put it together, and I'm going to help you. And the place we landed on was the Dominican Republic. Uh, a lot of the students in the minist- student ministry at that time that we had been helping in, they were um, part of a trip with Students International years before. And now they were in their senior year, and they were so excited that they had the opportunity to go back and revisit that place they had been in years ago. And so we took a trip, I think, of 18 or 19 people, and yeah. immediately God began to sow our hearts to that place. 
Um, so much so that we probably took four or five more trips over the course of the next two years that I was in the residency. And some of you know about those trips. Some of you were on those trips with me. And on the last one, I looked at Rachel and I said, you know we're going to live here. I mean, we're getting on the plane in Santiago. I said, you know, you know we're going to live here, don't you? And she didn't say a word. She just looked at me and I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, we got some work to do here. Yeah. But that's a four-hour flight back to yeah. New York City. And I'm sitting there, no, you know wondering where my wife's mind is at and where her heart's at. And in New York, she got off the plane and she goes, you're right. Hmm. So God had brought her to the same place that he had brought me. And I mean, everything from then at that point forward, it was things fell into, a, into place and God affirmed every step as we stepped out away from the chapel and we began to full-time fundraise. Yeah. So. And so you guys really just celebrated a year one year into the DR. And so tell us a little bit about that first year. What's it been like? What's <laughs> been going on? It's, if you follow them on Facebook, it, it's quite the journey. So yeah, It's been not without its events. I mean, we were supposed to leave on September 8th of last year. And as you guys know, Hurricane Irma came through. So we were postponed till September 11th. So that is our anniversary in the DR, September 11th. We got there about 10, 10 p.m., um, kids in tow, all four of them, and whoever had cleaned the home for, because we rent our home, whoever had cleaned for the land owner used some very strong chemicals and decided to leave every window and door wide open. Hurricane came through, put those two things together. So. <laughs> the entire first level was covered with two inches of water. And so, yeah, welcome to the Dominican Republic, Yeah. right? Uh, my wife in tears, and I'm like, it's going to be okay. But, um, no, some of the highlights, we, we set out to just, for personally, for, with one goal, establish our family in the Dominican Republic. Establish our family, learn to live in that culture, and learn the language. And I believe God's allowed us to do that because, first and foremost, our kids have adapted better than we could have ever asked. They go to an international private Christian school and the teachers, I believe, God has supernaturally put in their life. He has handpicked them. And we are ecstatic about the teachers that our kids have had because we've heard a lot of stories about, oh, you don't want, I mean, you guys have all heard, you don't want that one, you don't want that one, you know, when they're going through middle school and, and on up. And it has been amazing to see our kids flourish and thrive. And so we believe just in that alone, that is a huge win and Throughout the year, it's been hard. I mean, there have been issues that have come up. There have been things that we would consider roadblocks. Um, Avery, my oldest, we weren't there for two months, and she's playing at a friend's house and smacked her foot on something out in the yard that was kind of not visible, like a pipe sticking out of the ground, broke her foot. Um, I, in the spring, was not being careful, and I was cutting some palms around our house and had an accident. And for those of you who don't know, I'm on blood thinner every day, twice a day. And so here I am with my wrist sliced wide open on my way to a hospital that I hope has a surgeon, number one. Yeah. <laughs> and number two, I hope I can communicate to them that I am on blood thinner and that they can get this to stop. And God just supernaturally... And we're talking like an artery. Yeah. Like, we're not talking, like, a little major, like, oh, I cut my wrist a little bit. Like, 
he jabbed a pair of snippers right into the his wrist artery. Like it was a fountain, nonetheless. I mean, it was bad. there was a you know. fountain flowing deep and wide. Yes. 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 <laughs> so, um, but listen to this. I mean, this is how good God is. I show up to this hospital frantic, right? My wife is at home. We had brought in three other children from another missionary family who was doing a conference on another island. So I think it was in Cuba. They had went to Cuba, and we were in the DR. We had kept their kids. So we have seven kids at our house. And my wife is at home with those seven kids while I am running to a hospital that, you know, you just don't know. Mayor. Right? And so I get there frantic, hoping I can speak enough to let them know what's going on. Within five minutes, another missionary walks in the door whose Spanish is far greater than mine, and he explains everything to the surgeon. Number one, the surgeon, the general surgeon who was there, wasn't even supposed to be there that night. The other surgeon who was there was an orthopedic surgeon who splits her time between three other hospitals down the mountain over an hour away. And so they were both there, and a missionary walks in, who's a friend of mine, and explains to them everything that is going on, and that, hey, this guy is on thinner, we need to get the bleeding to stop. And then the wife, his wife, goes over to my house, spends time with Rachel, praying, and then making phone calls to other missionaries, because they're very well connected, they've been there longer than we have. They're very well connected. They start making phone calls to other missionaries. Hey, Nate Stone is in the hospital, and he may need blood. And I am in the operating room, and a nurse comes in and says, hey, there's like a dozen guys outside in the hallway. Wow. Um, do you need that blood? And she's talking to the, yeah. the surgeons, and he's like, I think we're going to be okay. I walk into my room after surgery, and yes, there were a dozen guys who had come up to see and get tested to see if I needed blood. Yeah. And God is just so good. Yeah. So good. So, yes, many ups and downs, learning to live, learning a new culture, learning what life is like with a family in another, in another country. It's hard. It's not easy. Um, new language. It's, but I wouldn't trade it. God has shown himself to us more so than we could have ever imagined. Wow. Well, what's, what's incredible of your story is, one, that you guys are, you know, you're in a pace to run a marathon there. Not, you're not running a sprint. And so part of that marathon is learning the language, learning the culture in this kind of first phase, first year. And so as, you, as you've set out, talk, talk to them a little bit about, because some people may not know the, the full kind of, end goal of what God's doing with you and as you move into this new phase this next year yeah. um, what, what, where do you guys see the ministry going so within the ministry I said personally we set out with a goal to establish our family and I feel like God has allowed us to do that with the ministry um, we believe God has called us to the Dominican Republic to re- reach victims of sex trafficking and sexual abuse um, the Dominican Republic is number four in the world for the export of victims of trafficking and so we didn't know that prior to going there. Um, but we w- would hear story firsthand over and over again from girls as young as my oldest, 11 years old, in villages out in the campos, out where there's, you know, usually no running water. Um, and it would, God used that to break our hearts. And we're, 
we're, we set out with a goal for our ministry this first year with just sowing into those connections that God had already given us, cultivating relationships. And so how we do that is we try to take a trip once a month to the shore where there is, the government would tell you, the corrupt government in the DR would tell you, this is our biggest problem area for forced prostitution. This is where we're going to focus our efforts is in this town, this little beach town. And we try to take a trip to that place once a month with our ministry partners who are um, Keith and Amy Malugin. You guys will meet them someday. We will be here and we will uh, get to shower them with love with you guys because they are great people. But even the way God connected us through you and Dan to them was amazing. Um, But that is what we have done. That is what we have focused on is cultivating and sowing relationship because it's not about running in and doing a raid and trying to rescue as many as you can. We believe that's not how God works. At least that's not how I experienced rescue. What we believe is that he pursued us, that he took the time and patience like Alex was just talking about to sow into us. And so we're always going, hoping to make familiar faces, right? Hoping to always point to the next conversation that it would include or lead to a gospel conversation. And yeah, our Spanish isn't really there yet where it's, we're feeling fluent, but we know we can get around and sometimes we even take a translator with us. But we're always saying, okay, how can we get more involved in her life and let her know that she is worth more than she ever thought? And so what does that look like? That looks like us just loving on her and saying, okay, instead of meeting her at the bar, meeting her at the strip, meeting her at the club where she's out working, let's invite her to a day of relaxation. Let's say, hey, we're going to the beach with our family just for the day. Would you like to come? You don't have to worry about a thing. We'll take care of all of it. Or we're going to a movie theater in, the, in downtown Santiago to see, would you like to come? And just spend the day with her. And let her know we value her for who she is, for who God's created her to be. And so that's how we've practiced our ministry in the first year. And then moving forward, we believe that the networking that we've been allowed to do, because we've been focusing a little bit on networking with schools that our kids are connected to um, for prevention work. We've been uh, focusing on networking with other ministries that do uh, different things that reach people that are in the farther out villages where it kind of goes on behind the scenes, where it's mom and dad who are trading because they're just in a situation that they feel like they have to. Um, And then also law enforcement, the legal side of things. Over half the women we meet are Haitian and they're undocumented. And so what does that look like for them? What is their greatest fear, right? What is their biggest hurdle? Well, it's to become legal because right now they're searching for a way to provide for themselves or they're under somebody else's control and they don't feel like they have a choice. And so we, we are praying towards more networking with legal connections with police officers who love the Lord and God's already given us one. One guy who spent his whole time in, in college going for that degree to be a police officer and then once he got there, God got a hold of him, saved him, changed his life. And he started to believe the gospel and realized, wow, I can't do this. I can't take these bribes. But he still has all those connections he made with all the friends in the police force. And so we're asking God for more of that. Would he affirm more of our steps by giving us more deeper connections and more networking with people who are in the right places 
for when this ministry begins to roll downhill, um, we just we ha- we have what we need. So yeah, that's great. Well, what what can we pray for you guys about as you as you go back? You leave tomorrow, right? Yes, to go yeah. back, and so um, what can we pray for you for you in regards to as you go back? Well, I think everybody asks us the question. So how what can we do for you, right? We we love on you. We we encourage you. We we pray for you, and I don't ever want to make light of that. Prayer, fervent prayer, is, is so coveted for us. We, we would love for you to pray for our children, that they would be, uh, continue to make the relationships that would just sow their hearts to the Dominican people, um, that God would give us the discernment of when to include our family in some of the ministry activities that we do and when to... Uh, make the effort to, to separate from that because that takes more manpower. That takes more people we can trust to leave our kids with. Um, and I would pray that you would get involved. I would ask that you would ask the Lord how you can get involved personally, whether that's through finances, whether that's through Ryan and Dan putting together a trip and you're like, hey, I'm there. I want to go. I want to make a difference. Um, I want to invest in uh, the life of a young Dominican lady who otherwise doesn't have the, the chance. Yeah. So I would ask you to pray for those things. That's great. Well, let's do that. Let's pray for him now. Um, man, we are grateful for you. Let's thank Nate and his family for all that thank they you. do. Yeah. Let me pray for you. Lord, we are so grateful for the privilege that you have given to connect our lives together. Lord, as a body, Lord, I'm grateful that you've put Nate and Rachel and their, their kids in my life. Lord, I believe you've called them. I believe that you have been with them through this first year. And God, I believe believe that that you have a plan that they see, um, but even dimly, Lord, fully that which you're going to do. And so, Lord, I pray you continue to give them faith. I pray you continue to give them discernment. I pray that you continue to give them knowledge of how you might use them to bring the gospel to the Dominican or to bring rescue and hope to those that are being trafficked. And Lord, I pray that, that, that in all things, God, you would lead the steps of Nate, Rachel, and their family. So Lord, we're grateful for them. We're grateful for the, the story of, of what you have done and what you are doing and what you're going to do in their lives. So Jesus, we pray that you, you would shine your face on them or that you would multiply them in the DR that God great and mighty and wonderful things would be done in your name through them. Jesus, we love you and we pray that your, your, your protection would surround them and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Love you, man. Thanks for sharing with us. Yeah. Well, um, it has been a privilege to watch Nate and Rachel on this journey. Um, and it's, it's a spectacular thing that as you give to the North Canton Chapel, you give... Um, you know, you give directly to them as you gave to the North Canton Chapel. You gave to their training building up. And so there are missionaries at the very core. And it's, an, it's a wonderful thing to have our missionaries on the field and us as a sending church. But that's also a fairly daunting responsibility for us as a church to love them, to care for them, and to pray for them as they continue to serve. Well, this morning I'm going to pack the rest of my 35-minute sermon into 15 minutes. You ready? Let's go. All right. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Let's look at it again. And the reason Nate, was, Nate and Rachel and it just got providentially worked is um, 
One, I, I believe that, 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 they are harv- that, that they are laborers that have been raised up for the harvest. But as we look at this text, we're just going to walk back through it really quick. And it says, Matthew 9, 35, 3, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. So Jesus was being diligent, right, in this ministry of his, in this three years of him doing his public ministry. He was in this, this moment of going through all the cities and villages. They were traveling greatly, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, which, by the way, is a really important thing when you see this of Jesus. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, meaning he was proclaiming the rule and reign of God. If you are one who has turned their life over to Jesus. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, meaning that you have given your life to the reign and rule of God. Jesus wasn't simply saying, hey, come be saved so you can go to heaven when you die. He was saying, come, give your life to Jesus, submit your life to his rule and reign, and do his bidding with the rest of your life, and one day you will forever. Gospel of the kingdom. And healing every disease and every affliction, These miraculous signs were being done, proving that his message had validity and proving that there was something supernatural happening with this man. By the way, Jesus isn't an every ordinary guy. He isn't just a good prophet. He is God. And God moved, right? God God was moving on earth through the person of Jesus. He was the God man. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. This is this word, this compassion, right? It was, it's like in the gut, right? This deep place in his heart, compassion. It wasn't just this kind of watching the news and going, oh, that's sad. I hate it for him. And then going on living the rest of our days in some way. He, what, what Jesus, he had compassion, meaning he was moved to action. He had, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw people as they truly were, not by what they were doing, not by what he disagreed with them about, not by their position on this or their position on that, but he saw them as they were, that they didn't know and love God. They were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd, meaning they were wandering, going about any way in which they wanted an imminent danger surrounded their life. It's the image. Then he said to his disciples, right, this moment of compassion, he sees this, then he turns, red letters, the harvest is plentiful. Johnston paraphrase. There is a lot of work to be done. But the laborers are few. There's a lot of work to be done, but there's not many going after it. Therefore, important word, right? It means that we should take action. Therefore, what's it there for? What, why? What, what do we do? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Now that phrase, pray earnestly, fervently, without stopping, consistently to the Lord of the harvest, right? To, to God, the one who is wanting the harvesting to be done, to send out laborers into his harvest. Meaning this is God's work. This is his doing. We need to pray earnestly that, that those would be raised up to do his work in this world. 
So we heard Nate and Rachel's story about how God has raised them up. I believe there's a lot of other people in this room that could share a story how they've been raised up, who have, some have invested in their life to help position them to go and do what God would have them to do. The disciples, right, they were with him, they watched him, they heard him, and little did they know they were about to be multiplied in a significant way to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. So this call to disciple multiplying, kind of see it in three ways in this text. The first is compassion and multiplication. Compassion and multiplication. There, there, underneath this was a responsibility. Now, have you ever felt responsibility for anything in life? Anybody raise your hand if you felt responsibility for something. What is it when you feel responsible, right? You, you have this feeling in you that I own this that there's something in this that, that I'm responsible for. Most of the time, I feel this for my children, right? Uh, that was a joke. And so, um, right, I, I heard that dads don't babysit their kids. It's called parenting. And, so, uh, and so, so with this, this responsibility, and I feel it with my children, probably more than anything else I've felt it in my life, I feel a responsibility to raise them up, to know and love God, and to live for him, to know math and be able to read and all these other things. Like, I have responsibility for this. And so this responsibility, right, this compassion and multiplication, this isn't somebody else. This is coming to a place where I bear responsibility for this world and the lostness of it. So Jesus, he saw people's condition, what were they? They were harassed and helpless. They, he saw people as they were. They were, she, they, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Question, church, do you see people as they are? Or you just complain about who they are? Do you see people as they are? Or do you just kind of like to talk about where they are? See, Jesus saw people where they were. They were harassed and helpless. They were not lovers of God. They were lovers of this world, and this world was going to eat them up, and he had compassion. And this compassion was this feeling of great agony and responsibility. Not somebody else. And really, in the greater context of Scripture, we can see that I need to bear this on my own shoulders and notice Nate said this when we were talking. He knows that he's not alone, that there is an us, the church, that we bear this together. Because it would be almost, it would, not almost, it is overwhelming to bear on our own shoulders. But together we can bear this great burden with our God. So this compassion and multiplication, called disciple multiplying, also we see prayer and multiplication. The battle is won on our knees. The battle is won on our knees. It says pray earnestly, the mode of battle, right? The mode of battle. This isn't kind of what you think of initially when you think of going after lostness, going after the harvest, going after having compassion. What you, you initially think of, at least I do, is, okay, what am I going to do? Anybody with me? Like, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? How can I be a part of this? Give me a hammer. Give me, give me something to do. Can I preach? Can I do this? Like, what is it that I need to do? And what he says is pray earnestly. Right? What, and, and I believe this is actually massively profound because if this is his doing, right, if this is his mission, this is battled in the spiritual realm, and the spiritual realm is fought with prayer. 
And then with prayer, what happens is we see God come through. So pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. This is his mission in which he has invited us into. Again, the battle is won on our knees. And then the third thing, compassion, multiplication, prayer, and multiplication. Third, planning and multiplication. This mission is done through people. So he says laborers, like the work is done through laborers, meaning people that actually get out and get after it with their very own lives. Laborers sent out into the harvest. It is done in cultural engagement. It is not done by simply coming to worship services, coming to Bible studies, doing Christian things. Those Christian things lead to Christian activity, right? You with me on this? Anybody? Again, I get an amen, something. Christian, right? Christian, Christian activities lead to Christian doing, lead to Christian living. A guy one time said to me, he goes, I've been in the church for 65 years. And he goes, all that it seems like what's been happening is we're always being prepared to do things we never do. Right? We, well, let's get prepared and get after it, right? And so planning and multiplication sent out into the harvest, right? Done with, with, with cultural engagement. Now, what's unique about the mission of Jesus, and this is a whole series on disciple making, what's unique about the mission of Jesus is this is kind of, I, I believe this, um, the mission is misunderstood. And so it's maybe like this, adding versus multiplication, so imagine with me, if you will, if me and uh, Mike McCartney said, you know what, we're going to start a, an organization. And what our goal in our organization to do is we want to re- lead one person to Christ every day, right? And so that'd be 365 a year. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? 365 people new at the North Canton Chapel, Mike and I's new, brand new ministry that's going to reach the lost and bring them into the church, which is a great thing, and we should do that. But just so you know how this works, if I were to disciple one guy for six months, and then he goes and disciples one guy for six months, by the time, by the time we hit six years, we completely outpace one a day, right? So you're with me. Multiplication. We completely outpace one a day, and really at the end of 37 years, we have reached over 7 billion people. See, I believe when Jesus said, go and make disciples, go invest your life in another, and then that person invests their life in another, Ron, right, Alex's testimony at the beginning, he invested his life in Alex, and now Alex is investing his life in others. When we actually buy into the strategy of Jesus, we will see this world turned upside down. Jesus did not tell us to go and make converts. He said, go and make disciples. And I believe when we make disciples, what happens is this world gets flipped upside down. And it's a matter of faith because discipleship takes longer. It's not as quick, but the results are much more profound. They're much more long-lasting. And I could talk about this all day because I'm very passionate about it. A multiplier, right? A multiplier, someone who has the character, reliability, skill, and spiritual giftedness to transfer their faith to another. So, if you could flip that slide, uh, a multiplier, someone who has the character, reliability, skill, and spiritual giftedness to transfer their faith to another. So, what does that mean when I say that? Character, long-term Christ-likeness that one possesses. In this, do I have something to give away? Right? And that is Jesus. 
Do I look like him? Do I display his compassion, his love, his grace, his kindness, his mercy, his gentleness, his self-control? Or am I filled with anger, wrath, envy, malice? Right? These lists are all in Scripture. Christ-likeness is the beginning. Reliability. The ability to come through on my promises. Right? The ability to come through on my promises. Self-discipline. Third is skills. The abilities developed in life to achieve for Christ. That there are skills needed in order to be a worker for the harvest. Now these are skills that God will give us, but these are skills we learn from one another. Have I developed the skills of a multiplier in my life? Fourth, spiritual giftedness. Gifts given by God to achieve his work. and, And so in this, all of us have different gifts and all of us have different ways that we work toward this greater end of spiritual multiplication of giving our lives to another. And so everyone is called to work together as a church to be a people that are disciple multipliers. So the big aim, right, it takes, this is the the big aim it takes to, to do and be the church, to be the people that God would have us to be. But two ways for us to think about this maybe in this room, I believe that there's kind of a two-step process, and this is oversimplification. But there's a two-step process to this. One is you're either in preparation phase or you're in determination phase. And preparation time is preparing you for determination time. Preparation time looks like this, is I need to grow in Christ-likeness. And I see a Christ-like man or a Christ-like woman, and I go to them and I say, teach me how to live and love Jesus. Now, that can be going to a Bible study, that can be going to different places, but in this, that I'm getting enough rub off of someone else's life that I can learn from them what it looks like to love and look like Jesus. And so preparation looks like that. It looks like increasing in reliability, letting my yes be yes and my no be no, coming through when I make promises, not just because it's a noble and good thing to do, it's because I know that I live before God and that honors him when I do that with my life. Not, not just reliability, but skills. That I, I know the tools I have and I know the tools I don't have and I go after getting the tools I need to fully do this with my life. And then spiritual giftedness. Spiritual giftedness, right, a lot of times I think we think about it like this, is that my spiritual gifts are just what they are, right? They're they're just what they are. You can't have more, you can't have less, but I I believe that's true. I believe your gifts are your gifts, but I believe you can act very immaturely in your gifts, and you can act very mature in your gifts. And we have to grow in maturity in our giftings. Example is my children. They are gifted in certain ways, and they sometimes use their gifts for evil, right? 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 And sometimes you use your gifts not for the good of the gospel, but sometimes just for your own benefit. Right? The gifts, we grow up into them. And so as we find ourselves, we come to a place, others speak into our lives, we move from this preparation phase to determination phase, saying, I am going to make disciples with my life no matter what. And I'll promise you this, there's not one pastor in this world, there's not one person in this room that will ever stop me from making disciples. I don't need a penny to make disciples. But what God has called me to do is make disciples and come anything. Ryan Johnston is going to go after that because I am determined because of what my Lord has said to go after that end with my life. And I believe that we have to come to a place of transitioning from preparation to determination of saying, I am going to go after this with my life, not because a preacher told me to, 
because Jesus told me to. And Jesus' word holds the most weight in my life. So the question that you have to ask yourself, are you in preparation? Or do you need to move into determination? No one can answer that for you but you. And it will take a great level of humility, as it did the, our Nate and Rachel Stone, to step out of normal life and to humble ourselves and say, we need to learn. But I promise you, when you humble yourself, your learning can be done in a more expeditious way than you could ever think or dream or imagine when God is in the center of it. And so, right, so everyone is called to work together as a church to be a people that are disciple, more, uh, disciple multipliers. So a disciple multiplying starter. So, so for us in this room, how do we begin in being people that multiply our lives? I'll give you four things. First, start with a few. Start with a few. Believe in multiplication, right? Believe in multiplication. Any, any math teachers in the room, right? Just come on with me. Believe in multiplication. Believe that when you extend your life to another and they extend that out and they extend that out, the rapid reproduction that can happen of gospel saturation in our world when we give ourselves away and we make disciples. Power of multiplication. Start with a few. Second, major on relationships. Major on relationships, not material, right? Know a man, know a woman, invite them into your life, get to know them, let them see you in your struggles and in your successes, let them into your head and how you think, invite people into the fullness of your life, but also take them through some really great material as you do it. Third, succeed in sending, succeed in sending, right? What you get, a, you know, what, what, what we succeed in, like, what, what is it that we celebrate? We celebrate Nate and Rachel Stone, that God has raised them up and sent them out. This is what measures a church. It's its sending capacity, not its seating capacity. And for our own personal lives, we come to a place of saying, what measures, what measures me being obedient to Christ is my obedience and me giving that away which he has given to me. Not hoarding it in, but giving away every sermon, every study, every quiet time. Giving away the seeds that have been planted in my very own soul. Planting seeds into this world that people might grow up in their faith. Succeed in sending. And then fourth, give away authority. Give away authority. Let people go. Give them a pat on the back and say, man, you're ready to run. Go after it. Why are you still meeting with me? Why are we still spending time together? Go, go, go. I don't need to gather crowds. I just need to send people out. Give away authority. So the simple commitment, the simple commitment from Matthew 9, 35 through 8 and being a disciple multiplier might be this. I will become a hero-making Christian and play my part to see multiplication happen with my life. Jesus, what did he say? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is saying, pray for laborers, but at the root of that, what's he saying? Be a laborer. To the people he was speaking to that day, who were they? They were the disciples. Did they hear this word, and did they become this? Yes. Have you heard this word? Have we heard this word? And are we increasingly becoming this, which he's called us to? So, committing our lives to multiplying our lives and others. Now, we're going to pray and we're going to sing a song. But I think there's one thing, maybe, 
There's lots, but one thing that really hinders us from this, I don't know if you heard this, but there's a hurricane that just went through North Carolina and South Carolina. But there's this thing that happens with hurricanes, isn't there? I mean, how many have we had in the last few years? You sort of get fatigued with it, don't you? It's like, man, there we go, Red Cross, Salvation Army, you know, Samaritan's Purse, I guess we're going to give money into this. Like, it just seems endless. And so the, the endlessness, what is it? Is anybody with me on this? And you just kind of like, being transparent here for a minute, it's, it's a lot. We kind of get fatigued with it. But Harvey and Florence are equally as bad. 14 people, I think I heard this morning, have now passed away because of Florence going through. People are going to be without power for a long, long time. People are going to be without hope and help for a long, long time. We have some Harvey like survivors back here, right? Um, there's all these things that are coming. But I, I believe it's the same thing with disciple making. If you've been around the church very long, you've heard this message. I mean, have you not heard this before? But somewhere we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably should do something. I'll get around to it someday. Just ask you this question. If Jesus is the Christ who came and bled and died for the forgiveness of your sins, and he told you to do one thing, and you didn't do it before you died, and you yeah yad him because of fatigue. Do you find any danger in that with your life? I do. And I believe as a church, we're a church that we want to be hero makers. I believe I'm in a room with people that want to be hero makers. So let's move toward preparing ourselves to come to a place where we can live with determination to this end for the glory of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us each to play our role into this big work that you've called us to. Lord, help us to be men and women, children, as we gather together, Lord, to, to make the big end of your, our lives the big aim of what you've called us to. Help us to be disciple-multiplying Christians. Help us to be hero-makers, positioning others to chase after and to go after big and wonderful things for your name and your glory. Lord, I pray for each of us in this room, Lord, that whatever you're saying to us today, we would simply respond in obedience. Lord, your word is true. Jesus, you have all authority on heaven and earth. Help us to love you and to live for you in light of who you are. Now as we respond, help us to respond freely that we might we might pray. Those who don't know you might give their life to you by turning in repentance and turning in faith to you, Jesus. Those who, who do know you, Lord, that we would respond obediently to your word in repentance and in faith also. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.